Welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio-podcast. Hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists... Today on The Microscopist, we're joined by Yannick Schwab of EMBL as we discuss the role of serendipity in his career. And it's more yeah, by opportunism uh, that the first door that opened to me was the electron microscopy and then I jumped on it. Yeah, I never regretted that choice. A slightly unusual answer to what did you want to be when you were little? One of my first career ambition was to uh, trace lines on roads wild camping in Australia and uh, for two days you walk and there's nothing and his infamous seminar face gotta see that one but apparently I have a face when I say that that they feel they have to go all in this episode of the microscopists hello and welcome to this episode of the microscopist today I'm going to be chatting to Yannick Schwab from EMBL over in Heidelberg. Hi, Yannick. Hello, Pete. Nice to see you. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been a little while, actually, for, for obvious reasons. <clears throat> What's it been like over EMBL? Um, you mean oh, through the corona crisis? Or... Yeah, through the coronavirus. How, how is it coped with that? No, I think it's... Um... Yeah, now it's it's going okay. Most of the people are at work. Um, of course, we have to be careful with the social distancing and wear masks all day long, which is annoying, of course. But at least the uh, wet lab people, they can do something. I feel for the computer scientists, though, because they are trapped at home. And most of them are trapped at home. And I've been there for a year now. So I, I think they would appreciate to go to the campus. But um, yeah, okay. so far, so good. We will get there. So EMBL, EMBL itself, uh, you, you're a facility head and a team leader, which Correct. is two distinct roles, I, I, I would argue. So can you describe both of those roles and, and what the differences are between them? All right. So the, um, the facility is, of course, it's a service facility, which is open to uh, the the researchers um, at EMBL to all the groups and also outside. And there my role is, um, I mean, more to entertain the group to make sure that there's a good interfacing with the users, uh, a good adequation between the needs and so on. Um, uh, but I don't do much of the service myself, right, uh, in the facility. It's a lot of interfacing with the users, which is fascinating because uh, yeah. I happen to hear a lot about all the projects and so on. It's fantastic. And then it's more animating the team and, and we have fantastic specialists working there. So that's on the facility side. And on the team side, it's a, it's a research team. It's a quite a small research team in the cell biology and biophysics unit. And here we do methods development in correlative imaging. Um, so it's a lot of brainstorming. I try to have a multidisciplinary team. Uh, it's also very often challenging because I supervise people uh, who have skills that I do not possess at all. Um, so here as well, it's a bit of management. I'm trying to have the two groups working together as often as possible. Of course, in normal time, we will do retreats, meetings together, um, events and so on to, uh, to link them together. Um, now it's slightly different, but we try to work together as much as, as possible. 
Uh, and that makes sense that they, that they work together. But there's, it sounds like there's a clear division in the expectations of the roles that you mentioned as a facility side that you're there to serve, I think was the word that you used. It was a service. Mm -hmm. uh, and on the, on the research side, it's very much, uh, I would argue, a selfish job. They're meant to be doing their own research and not necessarily supporting lots of other groups, maybe collaborating, but not necessarily working in the same way. So how are the tensions, are, they, are both sets parties that work in both sides? Are they quite happy in their job roles? Because they are quite different job roles. Equally important. I hope, I hope they are happy, yes. <laughs> I think the teamwork is a bit more focused. You know, we, uh, of course, it's electron microscopy, it's correlative imaging, and there's also correlative imaging, the facility. So from outside, it may sound very similar, but in fact, the team is focusing on much more targeted uh, job and they try to find solutions to existing problems. And um, if the development is successful, of course, we hope to transfer that and to make that uh, accessible as a service in the facility. But that would be on a very topical theme or a, a very yeah, targeted, focused um, yeah. workflow or whatever. Whereas the facility, uh, of course, has to cover a much larger spectrums of technologies uh, to answer to the user's needs that can be very diverse. It can be simple negative staining, for example, or volume EM. We don't necessarily do everything in the team. And um, yeah, so in the facility, it's uh, staff people who are hired, whereas in the team, we have uh, PhD students, master students, postdocs. So I think their career trajectory is slightly different. Um, more short term for the team, uh, whereas in the facilities more long term. Now, I mean, I've been at Embo for eight years, so I, I start to see a couple of generations of people uh, having passed through the team. And I see that, yeah, many of them are going towards facility or towards uh, service jobs. So I think there's probably an influence in, uh, in the way we, we work. Uh, it, it, it's very good, because actually my, my next question, mm. it, it's, I don't think it's an awkward question, EMBL, uh, for those who, I'll let you describe what EMBL is in a moment for those who, who are listening or watching that haven't heard of EMBL properly before. But they also have a, an ethos that most academics that come in there only have a nine-year tenure, sort of tenure at most, I think. And then, and then, boom, you mention to have made your name and move on somewhere else. Now, you sit in quite a nice position, maybe, that you, you were facility head which doesn't have that nine year time limit, I don't think. It does. And as it does have it. Yes. Oh my goodness. So in that case, you're on year eight of nine. What happens next? So I'm one of the lucky ones. I told you that I, I am lucky, right? And uh, I have the privilege and I've been granted an open-ended contract uh, last year in November. So I will stay a bit longer than nine years. Uh, of course, it comes with some responsibilities, extra responsibilities, but uh, yeah, I find that as a, as a great, great luck because it's a fantastic place. You know, you can have crazy ideas and then you can work to make them come through. So it's, that, it's pretty that cool. Is terrific. But, I, I yes. think you just gutted loads of electron microscopists who wanted that job. <laughs> yeah, and to get, because it is one of the best places to work. I, I think in, in Europe, from a biology side, I think it is the best place to work. 
Could you just want to describe what EMBL is for those who aren't aware? So it's an intergovernmental organization. We have, I should know that by heart, but I think 24 member states uh, that are mostly from Europe. And we have two associated states, Argentina and Australia. And each country contribute to the lab, uh, of course, with funding, uh, but also with people. Um, and then, well, the global mission of EMBL is to work in molecular cell biology and to provide the member states with, you know, cutting edge, uh, advanced state of the art uh, research and technologies. And there are different missions in developing technologies, of course, performing research, but also providing training. Um, and so on and so forth. And, and, and then so for, the, for the nine years thing, the, the initial concept is to hire very junior group leaders from their postdoc and even some of them from their PhD and to help them to become the next generation of group leaders in, in science. So I think this is really the core concept and, and that's also the justification for the nine years. So they, they are hired, they grow up, at EMBL, they absorbed the uh, the spirit, uh, you know, the uh, collaborative spirit, the collegiality, and so on. And then they move on in their career, and very often they move on pretty well, becoming, you know, high-level directors, Max Planck institutes, or other places. Yeah, so true for group leaders, but also for heads of facilities or even staff of facilities. Very often, when they do work for nine years at EMBL, afterwards they move up in the career and uh, they become heads of facilities somewhere else. <clears throat> so it, it, it is a very encouraging environment, high pressure for a lot of those who don't get that, that, that lifetime contract and it's nine years and you know you are going to be having to finding another job. What a great incentive to make sure you always succeed. And it's a really great environment to enable that, which enables people to succeed and then go over and actually I think it spreads the benefits of EMBL to all they take that magic with them into whichever university whatever institute they end up at and it gives that network that broad network that's true yes no I think that's also the real benefit from the member states I mean you know we always have these discussions what do I gain contributing to EMBL as a member state uh, how many PhD students do I have uh, currently at the MBL? But I think it's not only that, it's also what, also what they become. Um, and uh, I, I see that myself, right? That they are becoming leaders and they scattered across Europe and, and the world. And I think, I think they propagate uh, what is being taught here at the MBL. What's it like to live over at Heidelberg? Where do I live? No, so what's it like to live in Heidelberg or close to Heidelberg? It's very, we, we feel like a, in a bubble. I think Heidelberg is a very privileged place in Germany by itself. It's very international. There are many international companies around. You know, we have like the big BASF chemical chemistry company uh, that is just 15 kilometers. There's SAP headquarters, um, John Deere, and so on and so forth. So it's very, very international. And the city is a very quiet and nice bubble. You, are, when you wander in the streets, you hear, I don't know how many languages, uh, it's, it's pretty fun. And nice. for raising kids, it's also fantastic. It's super safe. 
Now for people who are used to big cities like Paris or London, it might become a bit boring after <laughs> a while because it's very provincial. It's 150,000 inhabitants in Heidelberg and it's, it's pretty yeah, small. But um, no, I, I love it. It's, uh, it's pretty nice. <clears throat> so just to go back, so obviously, I, I, and actually maybe not everyone knows, your expertise is in electron microscopy, correlative light and electron microscopy, correlative electron microscopy full stop. It goes beyond light, I think now. Uh, and also looking at the 3D electron microscopy. So there's a lot, it's all based around the electron microscope, but where did you first get an interest for electron microscopy? Mm. That was during uh, my master's, I believe. I did uh, just a very two, short two weeks internship in, uh, in the lab that I did my master. No, it was not during the master. It was during the bachelor, actually. And then in that same lab, I did my master uh, later on. So uh -huh. it was, uh, I think, more or less by serendipity. You know, you have to make your choices of, of rotations in the labs. And, and it sounded cool. It was in neuroscience and electron microscopy, because back then I was studying neurosciences. And that's how I started. So, so it's never an ambition to be an electron microscopist or a microscopist. It was more a case yeah. that you found yourself in front of an electron microscope and I presume enjoyed and found a skill for it at that point. Yeah, I think it's even worse than that. You know, I, I, I think I never had the ambition to become an electron microscopist. It was more by opportunism, <laughs> but it, it was a very good luck at the end of the day. I mean, I made the choice uh, during my second postdoc, actually, um, because there was a very good job opportunity. I knew I wanted to work in the facility business and I wanted to be at the bench. I never wanted to become a PI. Uh, so for me, my career plan was to become uh, what we call in France an uh, in, uh, ingénieur de recherche, so research engineer. It's staff in uh, electron microscopy. And uh, yeah, because there was one position opening in the, uh, in the electron microscopy facility in the institute I was working in, I jumped in because uh, I felt that um, I could do something there. And at that time, I was, you know, debating between electrophysiology or confocal microscopy or like fluorescence microscopy or EM because I loved them all. And it's more, yeah, by opportunism uh, that the first door that opened to me was the election microscopy and then I jumped on it. Yeah, I never regretted that choice. That was yeah, almost 20 years ago now. And uh, I think it's the best choice I've ever made. I yeah. see you say you never regretted. Yeah, you say you never regretted it, but I noticed that you left the light microscopy behind to an electron microscopy post and you immediately brought light microscopes into your lab. That's true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also actually uh, an, another serendipity, you know, because I took that that job uh, to work in the electron microscopy, and I was kind of, oh man, I'm going to give us on the on the colorful images and I will enter the gray world. And then um, a couple of months after starting the, the job, I take this uh, EMBO course. Um, so that was in 2005. And I meet Heinz Schwarz. Uh, I, do you know Heinz? Um, he's a pioneer in correlative light and electron microscopy. Mm -hmm. He's been doing that on sections with immunofluorescence labeling and so on. And he was one of the teachers in that course. And suddenly during the course, I. I start to uh, to take his practicals and so on, and I discover Clem, you know, 
And then that was fantastic. I said, wow, but I don't have to give up on the fluorescence. <laughs> we can do both. And that's, that's when I discovered Clem really. And it was a, yeah, a turning point in my career for sure, because back from that course, I started to go around the Institute and I was looking for partners who would be interested to, to implement qualitative methods and, and later on develop them. So yeah, it was definitely a turning point. That's back in 2005, did you say? Correct. So you've moved around, if I recall correctly, quite a bit in your academic sort of PhDs, postdocing in different places. So very quickly, which countries have you actually postdoc or PhD and worked in? Yeah, not that much. In fact, I I did all my studies. In, I was born in Strasbourg and, and did all my studies in Strasbourg, in France. Um, and then I went for less than two years in Canada, in Calgary for a postdoc, and then came back to Strasbourg, uh, started a second postdoc, and then I found a job in Strasbourg uh, in, the, uh, in the EM facility. So I, I didn't travel that much. So, okay, so a really quick fire question. So you've got to answer one or the other as fast as you can. What's better, Canada or France? Canada. Ooh. France or Germany? You should ask Alsace or Germany, and I would say it's the same. <laughs> oh, my grandmother would kill me. <laughs> I was actually trying to play you into trouble there. It just didn't work, did it? You paused, you stopped, you thought. <laughs> you, you were in a no-win situation there. <laughs> I, one way or the other, you're either going to fall out with your family or fall out with your employers, one of the two. I, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Well, I would argue that my employers are not German. You know, no, 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 you're right. Intergovernmental. So very often, uh, you know, people tell me, yeah, but, you know, the French system is not good. Uh, he, uh, he went to Germany uh, to work there. But I'm sorry. I mean, Emble is as French as German. So, um, so uh, And as British well, and as... Swedish and as Italian and yeah. Swiss and so on. So, um, yeah, it is not really Germany. Yeah, yeah but your neighbours wouldn't have liked you, though. Know? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that point, but living in, Germany, li living in Germany or living in Heidelberg is super cool, really. Mm -hmm. and, and without hesitation, I would say I prefer to live in Germany than in France. What about Canada, then? Put Canada and Germany in there. Canada is amazing. It's my yeah, second home. Even though I, I stayed there like less than two years, I loved it there. Of course, it's for the outdoors. Uh, the science was fantastic as well for me. And, you know, I, I left my hometown and I discovered uh, like big Northern American cities and uh, the open spaces and, and also the mentality, the research mentality was, was pretty different than what I, I knew uh, from France. And yes, I, I, can you believe I never came back to Canada since I left? Uh, 18 years ago, um, but uh, yeah, I will go back there one day for sure. It's a fantastic place, fantastic people. It's time to hold uh, the 3D EM meeting over in Canada then, isn't it? So let's do that. Yeah. So you, you like Canada, you mentioned the outdoors and you actually sent some photos through. So actually, if you're listening to this, it's worth just catching quickly some of the YouTube bits of this. So can you explain what this picture is and who they are? So this picture is um, in Norway, northern Norway. So we are very we're at the polar circle actually. And this was the first time I went to Tromsø. And on that picture, you have Randy Olsen, 
um, and Heinz Schwarz, both of them teachers in that EMBO course that I took years ago yeah. and who uh, changed my life. Uh, very good friends and colleagues, uh, electron microscopists. And, uh, and then you have two colleagues uh, from, uh, from Norway, also Karen and Bord, uh, both of them working in Tromso biologists. And we were, uh, yeah, you wouldn't believe that, but we were at that time doing a workshop to prepare a course. Um, so we, we did a two days retreat on a very cute island close to Tromso in Northern Norway to brainstorm about how we would best set up this uh, course on EM and correlative light and electron microscopy. It was a beautiful setup. Yeah, Yannick, can I set a course up with you sometime? <laughs> sure, yes. That, that, that sounds quite good. And so and this, this is... is uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, go, go, go on. Yeah, this so it's, uh, it's not the same year, but almost the same place. If you move your head like this, yes, it's 70 degrees north. So you, we are really talking about the polar cycle. So. Uh, this is near Tromso. It's called the Rebenesoi. It's a very small island, beautiful place as well to uh, to sit there and to talk about microscopy and many other things with Heinz Fart, my definitely my mentor and, and good friend. And here it was also just before a course. Um, so we, uh, we went there to this island. Randy has a very nice cabin there, and uh, yeah, we spent some uh, very good time in in Norway. Yeah, I, I, I wish I'd put some uh, my, my winter hat on and stuff because it, it would make it look as I was with you too, but two of you. <laughs> <laughs> so in Tromso, that's where you find the northernmost electron microscope on the, on the Earth. <clears throat> Very interesting to, uh, to note. The northernmost electron microscope, did you say? Yes. And, and I, was this the same time? This, so yes, this is a exactly. picture of the, the northern lights? Yeah, absolutely. Same time with, uh, together with Heinz. Yeah, and so there's the northern lights. Plenty of parallels with the, uh, the radiation that's been used for this and the yes. excitement and the emissions. It's not too far off your, uh, some of your it's clever approaches. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, that, that's why you need light in images, not just black and white. True, yes. I can, I can hear electron microscopists screaming right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the old guys, they remember the green screen, it was still a bit coarse. <laughs> so, thinking of the images themselves that you are getting, for those who have not seen correlative light electron microscopy, Clem, would you like to describe what, why is it so important? Because again, not everyone's going to appreciate the fine points of this. So I've got an electron microscope image on the one side and a fluorescent image on the other side. Why is it so important to be able to connect these? So there are different levels of interest for doing that. So one of them is for navigation. So the light microscope has a very large field of view and it, it is very useful to get an idea of the context. And then of course, uh, if you play with the light microscope, I mean, you have all the yeah, very important uh, topics like you can image living things, you can control the environment, you can explore it and so on and so forth. But then with the labeling techniques as well, you can have molecular information uh, on your specimen. And therefore the, the browsing or the, the contextual information is becoming very meaningful in terms of you know, the cell types you are looking at or uh, you know, the physiology of the cells. You can follow uh, the ion concentrations and, and so, so many things. And then correlating that to the EEM uh, is adding the, uh, of course, the ultrastructural scale the subcellular scale and you can add to those 
contextual information or to those molecular information all the uh, nitty-gritty of, of an electron microscopy image. So that's the motivation to combine both. Yeah, so it's important, isn't it? Because you have a resolution scaling electron microscopy that goes really in the nanometer, the, 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 the single digit nanometer and lower resolution. Yes. And yet your fluorescence images are typically around 200 nanometers. Yeah, with a bit of trickery, we can get down to 20 nanometers. Uh, 100 nanometers certainly now far more feasible. But that's a big gap between the two. And if you say the ultrastructure, you, you miss that with the light microscope, you see that with the electron, but the electron microscope gives you a very small window. <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you can easily get lost in a sample that is highly heterogeneous and collagen microscopy saves your life in, in that respect, because you can use the tricks of collective microscopies to navigate your specimen and, and go and take images where you need. Uh, but very often the EM uh, is missing the dimensions of you know, molecular identity of the cells or what's happening or how they interact and how dynamic they were. You are missing this, um, this history. Right? So that's, that's why I like to combine both. This, I, I, this, I, I, image, uh, this image for me is a historical because that was my very, very first collective microscopy experiment in the, in the EMBO course that I mentioned before in, in 2005. I couldn't believe it, you know, I, I, for many aspects, I don't know how much time we want to spend on that, but it, it was a, a crazy day for me. First, this is a cryosection. So for, for those of you who don't know this technique, it's called the Tokuyashi technique. So basically, you chemically fix a sample, you put sugar in it, and then you freeze it, and you put that in a cryomicrotome, and you try to get sections. And for beginners in, or even not beginners, but it can be very tricky to play with those cryo sections. There's yep. no reason. It's like, How thick are the uh, sections typically? Have you tried that yourself? Uh, I, I just, Lucy Collinson's a person for that. <laughs> How thick are the uh, samples that you're cutting in this case? Uh, so, so that was a very tiny piece of tissue. It was less than a cubic millimeter, half of that. Something. And the section thickness that you microtomed? So, I mean, we were aiming for thin section, so less than 100 nanometers thick. So, one, so, so it's not 100 nanometers thick, is it? It's 100 nanometers thin. You can never use the word thick when it's 100 nanometers. That's thin. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Why do we always say, everyone says it's thick. It's thin. It's yeah. thin. It's definitely thin. If you want to be a bit even more snobbish, you, you would say ultra thin. But yeah, so, so this, this one in particular, um, it was the first time I, I tried to do cryosections during the EMBO course. And you know, I had those big shots behind me. It was like Herb Agler, Randy Olson that I mentioned before, and there was also Peter Peters. Yeah. And I was like there, you know, stressing on the microtome. And honestly, I was producing crap, chips. I mean, it was looking like nothing. And then uh, Gareth Griffiths, I mean, came by and I looked over my shoulder and said, oh, that's great sections, pick them up, pick them up. And I said, no way, I mean, it can't be, you know, it, it, there was no ribbon, nothing. So, okay, I listened to what the teacher was saying, I, I picked them up and so on. And then I put them into a, a correlative microscopy workflow, immunofluorescence staining and so on. That's what you see here. I, I couldn't believe it. 
it's a piece of retina and you actually see the layers of cells. The green is GFP, native GFP, and the red is anti-GFP. And the blue over behind your shoulder, that was just DAPI and a bit of background. But that's, that's where I, I fell in love with this, you know, because it was actually working from the, you know, beginners, rookie, crappy sections, you could actually start to see things. And then I took uh, consecutive sections and I did immunogold, and that's what you see on the right, against GFP again. And, and here you, you see one partner of the, of the synapse at the photoreceptor bipolar cell uh, synapse that, uh, that is expressing the GFP. So yeah, I, it was an eye opener and definitely uh, I, you know, I put the, the finger in the mechanism and then you get caught. And, and that's it. Huh? Now, that's because you thought it was easy. <laughs> I, I, and that's interesting. Actually, if that had not worked, if that had actually not gone well, and you and for whatever reason it hadn't worked very well, do you think your career might be different today? Huh. I don't know. <clears throat> I really don't know. Maybe, yes. <laughs> there's, there's, there's magic moments that trigger a career and develop it and it sounds it sounds like one of those and i think courses are so inspirational they and are. being on the right course with the right tutor the right inspirational figures around yeah. it make a huge difference and so not just you know in your case you said how many of your staff go on to lead other facilities so you're inspiring them at that point but you're inspired by that course back then I'm and totally. yeah um, totally that's why also i'm I'm so much keen to organize courses and, and to try to pass to pass it forward. You see what I mean? Um, because for me, definitely. I mean, of course, it was also super fun. I mean, we had incredible fun uh, during the the practicals, but also I mean, in the evenings and so on. And it was amazing atmosphere. But also, we were like doing experiments, and uh, it was so hands-on and, and so on. It was fantastic. So of course, retrospectively, it's always easy to say that moment influenced my career. I don't know if it's really true. At least I feel like it today, yes. So actually, so I think you probably answered this. A good question is, who, who, who inspires you in the workplace? What, so who's been the most inspirational person in your career? Oh yeah, I mean, totally this, this crowd of teachers at the end of course. I think they, they inspired me a lot. You know, for their for their spirit, their collegiality, uh, their wealth of knowledge, uh, also their accessibility. You know, that, that was that was fantastic. So I think they they are the ones who had the greatest influence, and and for sure Gareth Griffiths, Heinz Schwarz, Randy Olson, Herr Bagler. I mean, I should name the whole gang, right? It's like fifteen people. Yeah, it's oh, not I, the awards ceremony, don't worry. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, no, totally. Yes, I think. Uh, what about outside of work? Is there anyone that inspires you outside of work? Hmm. Hard, to, uh, hard to say. Okay, so, so on that note then, being as you completely left them out of that answer, do you, have, do you, you have a wife and family, yes? Yes. I'm glad you thought of them first. <laughs> so, uh, you have three children, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, this is, it sounds like an inquisition. It's not meant to be. <laughs> so, how, Yannick, how, how old are your children? They are 
almost 18, uh, 16 and 15. Ooh. Boys, so girls? Are, yeah, two boys and one girl. And the okay. girl is the youngest. Any of them following in your footsteps? Interesting science? Nope. Mm, not, not for now. I don't think they will. I don't think they will do biology. One, maybe two of them will probably do some sciences. Yeah. Uh, and the other one is very much attracted to anything international doing with languages and so on. So maybe a, a bit of an influence here because I mean, we've always been evolving in a very international setup, especially since we moved to, uh, to Germany. But uh, no, I think they will, they will go their own way. I'm very curious to see what they will become. That's, you know. Yeah, one of the biggest stresses outside of work, I think, is just wanting to see your family succeed and to to do yeah, you know, sure, stride out successfully. So, what did you want to be when you were a child? Oh, okay, uh, I think one of my first career ambition was to uh, trace lines on roads. Don't ask me why. Trace lines on roads. I was fascinated by those guys who were painting the white lines in the roads. I, I should ask a shrink what that means. <laughs> then I wanted to become a fireman, but I was a bit afraid of fire. And uh, later on, uh, I wanted to become a cook. Uh, so that was during the college. I, I was very much attracted by by cooking and also traveling. So at one point, I wanted to become a cook on a on a navy boat. Um, wow! And I actually wanted to uh, to register for the um, for these uh, hostelry schools, école hotelière. Um, and in fact, I I didn't register for just for laziness because there was a file to uh, to fill and a form to fill and so on and i i couldn't bother so i just kept going that was when i was 16 i i didn't want to graduate or anything i, I wanted to go to that school and but yeah i didn't do that so i just kept going with my studies so you talk about serendipity and, and hence you're, you're a completely different career you would not have even known existed probably at the age of 16 and here you are today yeah. with a very successful career <clears throat> what's your ideal job what would you love to do? Beekeeper. A beekeeper? Yes. <laughs> well, I suppose you'd get a buzz out of it if nothing else. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'm attracted by that. Maybe, yeah. I'm attracted to anything that has to do with land, you know? I, you know, growing vegetables, gardening, uh, being a beekeeper or something like that. I, I'm, I'm quite attracted by that, actually. So that's I don't it. know if it's the ideal. Yeah, exactly. That, that explains this picture. I, I would warn you, being a beekeeper has a sting in its tail, so I, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> well, so you, you sent a picture. So obviously you're very into your garden or gardening for food. Yeah, yeah I love that. This is like my, my place of meditation, you know. So yeah. Your own tomatoes, I presume? Yeah, 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 that's the uh, that's the easy part. This year I'm a bit more ambitious. Last year I failed totally, and no excuse. It was lockdown. I was at home, so you would assume plenty of time to take care of that, but it was a disaster. So this year I'm trying to uh, <laughs> to make up for it. <coughs> like, just just thinking about things that 
you wanted to do, coming back to work and uh, how, how successful that's been. Do you have a favorite publication of that you've my authored own. or co-authored yourself? Yeah, I think probably the, the one from last year on the coronavirus, actually. I don't know if it's because it's the most recent, but I really love this publication because it's it was a, a crazy time, crazy story, and an absolutely marvelous collaborative work. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the paper, but we, we've done, yeah, electron microscopy on, on coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 infected cells. And uh, I think we've done in, in three months what we would take one year and a half to do in normal life. And that's because it was an unbelievable collaboration. And I'm, I'm yeah, super happy on how it turns. It, it sounds a bit odd to be happy about a pandemic and about a situation which, which is like really, really sad and, and uh, is putting many, many people in, in very hard time. But uh, work-wise, it was, you know, one of those moments where as a, as a boss, as a manager, you are very proud of, of the team that is working with you or for, or for whom you are working, you know. Um, you know, it started by, as a simple request from a collaborator downtown, virologist, Ralph Barton Schlager, and they, they contacted us to see if we could help them image uh, infected cells. And this, turned out into probably one of the biggest team work that we've done uh, since I arrived at EMBL. Everybody took part of it. Uh, so so. so that, that, that's, you know, coronavirus or COVID apart, that enabled, you said a year and a half's work to be done in three months. Why can't science be done like that all the time? People will ask that question. The public would ask that question. Why, why can't it, why does science take so long? And you can do that in three months. <clears throat> well, it's all a matter of resources. I mean, we had, <clears throat> between the team and the facility, we had 15 people working 200% of their time on that. So of course it's much faster, right? So, uh, in, a, in a normal time, I mean, every staff of the facility, they are dealing in parallel or with 10 to 15 projects. Here we were in lockdown, right? So we would only be, enabled to come to Amble to work on a COVID-related project. So we were full steam working on that. So would you say so, that that three months was more expensive than a long 18-month project, but you got probably, the result faster? Pro probably, yes. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting compromise, isn't it? Of, you know, it's really expensive to do science fast, but then it's quite slow to do science on, on normal funding. It's, it's, I, and 18 months actually is not that slow in many projects. Many yeah. can take, actually, what's the longest, pro what, thinking of your publications, which publication actually took you the longest from the start point to the end point to actually publish that work? The one that we just deposited from my archive. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got how many years? Well, uh, eight years. Yeah, it's... eight years. But I mean, it's not that we worked on that for eight years. Uh, I mean, the last three years, we were just, you know, working bits and pieces here and there. And it's totally my fault. It's just because it took forever to write it. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, I mean, the, 
there's a fantastic story that started a long time ago, which is also highly collaborative, which is on BioArchive now on, on the Platinaris. Um, so we are trying to correlate a gene expression atlas with a very large volume EM. And this is also taking a lot of time because, you know, it's, I think it illustrates well the, the effect of putting nerds together and each time you meet, you have new ideas and, oh, we should try this. And what about that? And six months, uh, and then you meet again and you have new ideas and so on. And that's a, such a fantastic project that builds up over time. You know, it, again, it was supposed to start as a very simple yes and no uh, answer to a question. And we wanted to, to yeah, some, do some volume imaging for connectomics, and then it built up and built up. And I think the result is outstanding, honestly. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's better than your COVID publication? Uh, better, I mean, it's as cool or it's different. I, I don't want to, uh, to put a, a tag. <laughs> so you're talking about networking, talking, interacting, collaborating. So this picture here is a group, there's a lot of people in this picture. Yeah. So, who is this is Embo Course 2005. We talked about that already. Ah, so this is this is the group. So this yes. this was the the co. How many others within that group are you still in touch with or aware of their careers? From the from the students, not 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 the tutors, but the actual delegates, the students themselves. Oh, I would say a handful, maybe a bit more. A bit less which, than ten, I would say. Yeah. Which is still a lot, isn't it? Yeah. You know, EM is a very small community idea. No? So, but but they've got to stay in, and of course, the other really important part of socialising is it's not just the serious teaching and the workshops. It's the out of hours relaxing, and that's where your mind can free up and your chat can go in directions that you maybe would you'd be constrained to in the lab. So, so what is the? I can see lots of beer. Up to a certain limit, the uh, the mind opening up. Yes. <laughs> yes, that was in Czech Republic, I believe. Um, yes, sure. I, I think this is an essential part of of networking and establishing new contacts. And some people may consider this is holidays and it's useless part of the job, but I totally disapprove. I, I think it's part of it. It's. I remember when I was in France, you know. The idea of going on a retreat with a group, that was considered a waste of time, holidays. And when arriving at EMBL, this is the culture, you know, you take your groups to retreats. And I was impressed by the depth of working that is happening at these, at these moments. So of course, at this specific second, I doubt that uh, Gareth and Randy were talking about science. <laughs> But it doesn't matter, you know, it creates the opportunity, it creates the, the, the links between people. And, um, and also it's a lot of fun, huh? you know, we spend a lot of hours in, at work, in teaching and so on. And I think this is the reward, reward as well. Yeah, and it, it, it forms, as you say, the bond, I would guess, yeah. that enables you to work more openly together. Because mm -hmm. you're not always being precious about questioning someone else and their, their academic standing, because you make it, you know, I think coll many colleagues are friends. Yes. And I think it's really important that your colleagues and your collaborators are friends, not just collaborators. Because otherwise I don't think it works very well. 
Yeah, that's true. I I th I think generally, at least, I've been lucky that in all the interactions I had with people, it was always very very friendly. So, in the lab itself, uh, I, I hear that you have something called a seminar face. <laughs> yes, the seminar eyes. So what is <laughs> seminar eyes? <laughs> so that was coming from uh, from Mattia and Nicole, uh, who uh, who both left the lab since then, but apparently. You know, I, I go to them and there's a, a seminar going on at, at CMBL. You know, in normal time, there's always a seminar going on, invited speakers or seminars from, from faculties or from postdocs or students. So there's always something going on and you get these emails with, with the titles and so on. And I would spontaneously go in the lab and say, hey guys, there's a very interesting seminar. Exactly like that, right? But apparently I have a face when I say that that they feel they have to go. <laughs> it was it was not my intention at all to be bossy, but they experienced it as as like that. So, so it became a joke that uh, that not, each time I would say anything, not necessarily about the seminar, they would say, "Oh, these are the seminar eyes. We should we'd rather do it." Okay. So, so I have to ask: when you tell them about the great seminar that they should be going to, should they be going to it? Of course. <laughs> so there you are the seminar eyes say it all don't they so so obviously you've got a very good rapport with your lab overall yeah and it's good to have a, a light-hearted workplace at time can you think of a funniest moment in, in in just in work it doesn't have to be in the lab or anything else it could be conferences workshops courses saying there's really funny moments that that remain with you well, the first first one that comes to my mind is, I think, when was that? Maybe for my 41st birthday or something like that, I show up in the morning in, in my office and it was full. I should have shared this picture with you. It was full of little balloons. It was gloves, you know, they were looking like elephants. It was all over the place. And um, so they, they did that the, the evening before, right? And they uh, uh, snuggled into my, into my uh, office and they decorated the whole, the whole place. And uh, yeah, that was super moving. It was uh, fantastic. Even they, there was a, a pregnant globe because I, there was only four, 40 of them hidden everywhere. And I was yep. turning 41. But if you looked at one of them, there was a, another one inside oh, the big lab. Yeah, yes. Clever. <laughs> yeah, I, I do worry your lab have too much time on their hands to think of such clever things to do. So that was that was last year then. Is that right, Yannick? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back out of the lab. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to it at the end, uh, back to the lab. But actually, what, what do you do outside of work? So obviously you enjoy adventures and outdoors and you did send me some pictures. Uh, if I can just grab these, which look like very much like wild camping. Yeah, uh, that was nice. That was in Australia, um, 2018. Yeah, it was one of the, of the nicest hike uh, we did with the kids. Um, with, well, it, this is with the children. Yeah, yeah, with, and my wife, yes. In 
a small tent. There must be more than one tent. We had two tents. Yeah. The same they size as that. They had to be pretty small because you had to carry them, right? It, so it was trekking, and uh, we were alone. It's it's the Giles track. I don't know if you've been to Australia. It's in, in the Red Center, close to the to the uh, Kings Canyon. And uh, for two days you walk and there's nothing, so you have to carry the water exactly. Yeah. So you this carry the family the on the trek, I presume. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love that. You know, open wide spaces and you're on your own. And this is something that I, I, we started to do uh, not so long ago, and uh, I think we all enjoy it. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> at least i do <laughs> you've got to get on well together that's for sure yes no that was fantastic i think we uh, we still have like very vivid memories of that of that too so i mean that looks really warm hot even yeah it was all right it was in august so there winter and uh, i think during the day it was less than 30 degrees and overnight it would reach zero okay and that this this does not look like Australia now. That's Norway again. So back to Norway and camping with the family again. Yeah. So this oh, was I, just I, with the uh, with the boys. Um, my wife and daughter they decided to stay uh, warm in the cabin. And uh, now isn't that fantastic? This is the morning. You know, you you get up. Of course, it's a bit cold. And uh, and you see this the fjords and the open space. I mean, this is refreshing. You, you said we get up, but I can't see anyone else in that picture. And there's a, one photographer. So actually, was it just you getting up that early in the morning? Yeah. You know, if you want to, to look at the sunrise in August in northern Norway, you'd better get up super early. So, yeah, of course. And that's same. also uh, also Norway, not too far away. That, that's one of the most spectacular hikes we've ever done. You know, if you follow that ridge, this is the path, right? So you can imagine. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. Uh, and how long are these holidays for? These uh, Australia was three weeks. It was just before the microscopic conference in Sydney. That was a bit the uh, the occasion for us to um, to all go to Australia. And this one was two weeks probably. So you like the great outdoors, and, and finally, this is is this you, yeah. one of your children? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, <coughs> that's I, our current hobby. We we go we go climbing. Cool picture. <laughs> so so where is this? Oh, so you're obviously climbing. You're on a rope at least, which is good. Yeah, yeah, we do that um, where we can. So it's also quite a recent hobby. Um, so we do a lot of bouldering indoor when we yeah. could, <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, also, we start going outdoors. Um, I mean, I consider myself as a beginner in that, but I really love it. It's really nice. And the, 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 the kids are much more advanced now, of course. But that's also super nice because you spend, you know, nice moments in family. And luckily, uh, we all share the same hobby, including my wife. So the five of us can, can go and do this kind of stuff. So this is nice. Nice weekends. And they do have a choice. Yes, absolutely. So that explains what you do in your free time. Unless I have seminar eyes with the kids as well. I don't know. Let's go climbing. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, we asked about the funniest time in the lab. What about 
uh, one of the most difficult times you've encountered in your career? I don't think there have been any, many. Uh, as I said, I consider that I've been super lucky always. So I, I can't really think of any moments that are stressful. I mean, being now in this position for a long time, I see the, gener the generations of people coming, but also leaving. And I'm, I'm not used to that yet. It's, you know, one part is being comfortable in the steady state and it's hard to see people leaving. But also, I mean, you, you let friends go. And uh, I hate that. But uh, well, we keep in touch and, uh, and then they thrive outside the nest, which is fantastic for them. But yeah, somehow I, I don't like that. So yeah, other, other than that, I think I've, I've, I've been freaking lucky always. And uh, each time I wanted to, to go somewhere or to do something, I managed to do it. So yeah, I think I'm a happy, lucky scientist. Yeah, I hope it will stay like that. I, I, I think everyone who is successful has to have an element of luck. Determination, effort, but also luck as well to, to get there. But gosh, no, I, I think I've certainly had problems throughout it, difficult moments and challenges. God, what was the most exciting time of your career? What, what period of time was the most exciting point? Um, I think this... The, the time when I, I wanted to leave the IGBMC in Strasbourg, that was like super exciting in terms of, you know, you, could, you cannot sleep. Uh, you think about it, you are excited, you try things and so on. And, you know, I, I had a position, a lifetime position in, in France. I was one of those functionaires at, at the INSEM, so I didn't have to leave. And the IGBMC is a nice place, right? So. But somehow, after seven years there, I, I wanted to see something else. And, and we tried Singapore, and I thought I would get the job over there. So that was super exciting as well, but it didn't work out. Mm. And after also by serendipity, I swear, uh, this job opening uh, turned out, uh, turned up at the MBL. And that was like super exciting as well. <clears throat> Again. So this, tran this transition was like very, very exciting. So fate again, that that Singapore didn't pan out, and yeah, one of the hottest jobs in the world for microscopy opened up for you, which is uh, brilliant. Okay, so some more quick fire questions. Okay, so remember, quick fire, quick answers. Mac or PC? Mac or PC? Mac or PC? Apple. Oh, Mac. 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 Newspaper or web? Web. Minimalist or maximist? I don't know. You look pretty minimalist in your background right now. Well, you don't see the mess around. I don't try to. <laughs> okay. Is that when I start a new patient, I, I want to buy all the gadgets that are around. So maybe maximalist. <clears throat> okay. So, you, so you're a gadget man? Yes. What, what's your, you said you wanted to be a cook. What is your favorite food? Ah, oh, there are plenty of things. I love Italian food, Japanese cuisine, French cuisine, of course. We are all very proud of our French cuisine, right? 
Who cooks at home? I started uh, this winter. I've started to work on fermented vegetables. This is amazing. Oh no! Yes, no, it no. is. No, it no. Is. no, no, no. <laughs> I, I have to make you try a couple of things. You Your taste see. buds are just getting old. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> so, who cooks at home? Everybody. <clears throat> okay. And so, go on. You're on a conference dinner. What will you be drinking? Red wine, white wine, beer, spirits, coffee, water, Coke. I start with uh, wines, and I would definitely end with whiskey. Ooh. Do you have a favourite whiskey? Anything pitted. Okay. Anything named after me? Uh, no, I don't know that one. Uh, pitted. pitted. Yes, anyway. of course. Yes, I have. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Yannick. <laughs> Sorry, I'm slow today. <laughs> so, book or TV? Book. Yeah, like more book now. I mean, I had a, like a TV period, but now I, I, I find that boring. So I and like books a lot. What do you read? What, what, what type of book do you read? Oh, it's very diverse. Uh, during the Christmas period, I read again uh, Dune, the Dune saga. And now I'm reading uh, the um, oh geez. the the book from um, from Sven Pabo about the the Neanderthals. You know all this research about finding DNA in Neanderthals bones and fossils. That's an amazing book. <clears throat> so I expect you to start taking three D EM images of uh, Neanderthal bones in the future. Then, yeah, maybe it has been done already. Yeah. No, it would have been a long time ago. Probably they've probably done scanning EM on this, you know, topology. Yeah, <clears throat> non-invasive of teeth as well because they 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 managed to figure out the diets looking at the 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 grinds in on teeth with scanning electron microscopy. Smart stuff. What's yeah. your favorite movie? June. Oh, okay. That, that was typical. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm totally fascinated by this, uh, this saga. I'm actually looking forward to the, like the, the new edition. You know, they, it was supposed to be released last year, but because of COVID, they uh, postponed it. So I'm, I'm really, I hope I'm not going to be disappointed. The trailer is awesome. And what about your music? What, what sort of style of music do you like? Plenty of things. I don't think I have a specific style. I can go from classic to alternative okay I, I like one of the like whoa moments it was when i discovered the jack garrett i don't know if you know him no it's like super cool try it it's amazing that's yeah one of those days when i was like lazy in front of tv and i was looking one of those uh, itunes uh, concerts and and this guy started to play and was like oh my god i need that but it's one amongst many. Okay. And I, I should have asked this earlier, actually. If you were to cook, what is your, what is the dish that you most like cooking? So what is your signature dish? Uh, maybe it would be a, a pain au lait. So this is a pastry, milk bread. It's like small, small bread. I love doing that. And it smells so good in Sunday morning in the household. <laughs> Sounds good. We are, we are now, I think, just getting up to the hour mark. See, I knew we'd get it easily. 
I've got to ask, we've got to go back to correlated microscopy. So I think this is really quite important. 3D volume EM, Clem, it's still an ad a rapidly advancing technology and technique uh, and still being, still being adopted by more and more people. What's the next big thing in Clem or volume EM? Or what needs to be addressed? What do you need for it to take the next step and become even more main and uh, become really mainstream? We have to, to go much faster. With imaging or analysis? Everything, the throughput. The, the throughput is the bottleneck now. And because we need to extract numbers from these images. And that will only come with like repetition, duplicates, multiplicates. And right now, I mean, you are happy when you succeed one or two CLEM or like 3D CLEM experiments, you are super proud, but that's not enough, right? It's, it's a very nice wow and marketing thing. But uh, if we want to do biology, like serious biology and you know, to play with the assays and so on, it has to go much faster. And of course, image analysis totally but it's coming i'm hopeful so controversially uh when 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 eric was live on this so eric betzig he uh he commented electron microscopies like microscopies everything it's only watching the living that is important so i did chat on back it, it was a deliberately provided i hope no, actually no i think he just believed that electron microscopy is dead because it only looks at dead stuff so Go on, rebut that comment. The electron microscopy is not important because it's the, you know, you need to look at live living tissues. Well, I agree that you need to look at living uh, tissues because that's how you can best assess the uh, effect of an interference, right? Yep. And of course, I would dream to uh, image the, you know, the wealth of what we have access to in an electron microscope into a living cell. So, I mean, he is for sure developing techniques that are going along this line, you know, label free uh, imaging of living cells at uh, highest resolution. So then I, I would agree that when we reach this resolution, we won't need electron microscopes anymore. Still, I think there is still a long way, right? Uh, with the sample preparation and all these expertise, you can go and look into the brain of a mouse uh, with this, of course, intrusive, destructive killing uh, techniques, but really super resolution fluorescence or non-fluorescence microscopy to go deep inside the, the, the brain of a mouse. I, I don't think that will exist ever, right? at this level of resolution. So we will need complementarity. And I don't like to oppose techniques. I think they have to work together. Yeah. So we, we must have this. So I would say, okay, I mean, we can play the controversies and so on, this, this is fun, but uh, let's, yeah, let's put things together and, and then we learn a lot from that. Yeah, I, see, I asked the wrong person because it is correlative. <laughs> <laughs> and it is bringing in that clip, which explains the importance. I think really it brings this to end really nice, like really explains the importance of correlative light and electron microscopy and arguably X-ray and other technologies uh, to really understand the cell, the tissue and everything else in far more detail. <clears throat> Yannick, we, we are just over the hour. So 
hopefully not okay. too long for people listening. Uh, thank you for joining me today. It's been great to catch up. It's been great to have a, a coffee. I needed my voice is failing, so I actually needed a proper hot coffee today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. For those who have listened, uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you've loved listening to Yannick and just, just how the careers can develop along career paths. You don't foresee certainly when you start out and how, how that can progress and to capture that wave and ride it successfully. And actually the pictures are well worth tuning into. So if you listen to it, just have a quick look at the, uh, the YouTube of this because the pictures he sent are just jaw dropping, both from the electron microscopes and for actually just his camping trips with his children and family. Yannick, thank you very much. It was a pleasure, Pete. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast. Sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the microscopists.